So hello and welcome back to the Westwick Enterprising Podcast. My name is Alton Faherty, I'm Project Manager in Westwick and I'm based in Galway and I'm the host for today. I'm delighted to be joined here by Keen Mannion uh, and Laura Miles of Flynn O'Driscoll uh, and today we're going to talk to them a little bit about uh, incorporation, investments, do's and don'ts around legalities in startups and a little bit on intellectual property as well. Thanks, Kian and Laura, for joining us today. Thanks, Alton. Um, So maybe just first of all, before I uh, get into some of the questions, uh, just mention that Flynn O'Driscoll is an award-winning business law firm, and your focus is on achieving practical business solutions for your clients. Uh, that's that's what you're you're trying to do. You're the law firm of choice for many entrepreneurs, uh, and you advise some of Ireland's most ambitious companies. And you have over twenty years in business. You offer a wide range of services and a multitude of clients, going from the small owner managed business to multinational companies, both at home and abroad. And Flinders Driscoll provide a range of services, but. What we're going to focus on here for this conversation uh, is more around the startup and the early stage companies. And we're going to, as I say, particularly look at investment, shareholder matters, and a little bit around intellectual property. So, Keen, Laura, you're welcome. And maybe let's kick off with the first question here. Uh, So starting at the beginning, um, starting up, incorporating a startup, how do people go about that? What does it mean for a company and why should companies do it? What are the benefits? Yeah, great question, Alton. I might actually begin with the benefits of incorporation. So the main benefit of incorporating a company is it is a separate legal entity. So this means that a company is considered separate, meaning that it's treated as a distinct entity from its owners or shareholders. This means that the company can own property, enter into contracts and sue or be sued in its own name. A related concept to this is limited liability. It's really the biggest benefit of incorporation. This refers to the protection of the personal assets of the company's owners or shareholders from the debts and the liabilities of the company. So this means that the personal assets of the owners or shareholders are generally not at risk in the event that the company becomes insolvent or is unable to pay its debts. So it's kind of worth noting that these concepts aren't absolute and that there may be situations where the personal assets are or may be at risk, such as in cases of fraud, wrongful trading, or personal guarantees. But overall, limited liability is the biggest benefit of a corporation. So other kind of benefits that go along with that is continuity of existence. So a company has a continuous existence, meaning it continues to exist even if the shareholders or directors change. So uh, it's easier to transfer ownership and sell shares in this company. Just uh, interjecting there, they're yeah. very important mm-hmm. from the point of view of investors at a later stage as well. Oh, uh, you know, you just mentioned their continuity because one of the key things is a key promoter coming in um, and is the business invested in those in that key promoter solely. You yeah. Know, if they exactly. disappear for whatever reason, can the company continue and, and how does it, how does it uh, exist into the future? Yeah, that's yeah. another point, just credibility. You know, if you see an incorporated company, uh, investors, banks, they're just going to take it a lot more seriously than, you know, a sole trader or perhaps a partnership. So those are kind of big points. Then there's other tax benefits. Obviously, companies in Ireland have a 12.5% tax rate and there's easier access to capital so when you incorporate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I think it's a fundamental as well when investors start to get into a due diligence process. That's, you know, company structure is one of the worst things ever. Oh, yeah. How is this set up? So, yeah. Good, yeah. so that's essential. Yeah, so, and then the kind of the first part of your question there was just how, how you do it. So it's actually, it, it's a relatively straightforward process. So the important thing before you kind of incorporate is just choose the business structure that you want to uh, that you're going to use. So the majority of companies in Ireland are private limited companies. So uh, so then the first step it went, went incorporating once you've decided to go, go ahead with this structure is to kind of go onto the company's registration office website. So they have a very handy portal called Core. You can create a username there. And then it's just a case of filling out Form A1 and filing a constitution with that. A lot of the times uh, early stage companies will just adopt a short form constitution and then as they grow maybe adopt a more sophisticated um, constitution. The information you'll need to provide with the Form A1 are who the directors of the company are going to be. 
there's going to have to be at least one director and the director will have to, if it's only one director, you'll have to have one director as residence in the EU. Who's the company secretary going to be? Choose a company name. It has to be a unique name that hasn't been used before, so you can just go onto the CRO website and check the names there. Um, so that's that's pretty much that's the incorporation process. Then once you're registered, the CRO will is, issue you with a certificate of incorporation, and that's the that's your legal that's the proof of your legal existence. So once you have that, then you can kind of go on, register for taxes, get a tax registration number for the company. Um, get a VAT registration number if that's applicable, and then uh, open a bank account in the company's name. Okay, very good. Uh, just there you mentioned the constitution. Um, is that something, are there sort of standardized templates then available for that, or is that where the likes of Flynn or Risco would step in to help with that sort of thing? Yeah, we would advise on that a lot, and yeah, it's good. You, you can adopt the kind of model constitution that's available under the Companies Act, and that's just a one page pretty much saying you're adopting those uh, regulations. We'd be able to give you a kind of a good kind of basic uh, constitution, just setting out the rules and how the company is going to be managed. Then, as I was saying, as you take on more shareholders and there's more investment, you might need to uh, have a constitution that interplays with the shareholders' agreement. I know we're going to, to uh, discuss that later on in our discussion. Okay, great. Um, I think we might have maybe tackle some of the, the next question that I was going to ask there, you know, three uh, top things that startups should know around the, the legalities, okay? Yeah. So obviously the the, uh, the registration with the company's registration office and the Form A1 and the constitution are key parts there because once you then get your certificate of incorporation, that essentially allows you to, to do business, really. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Um, the... Just on that, um, the the constitution versus a shareholders agreement, uh, you know, is that one and the same thing for a startup, or is it slightly different? You know, how, how do they compare? Yeah, no, they'll overlap, but you have to have a constitution. So, a company will have to have a constitution, and a shareholders agreement is a is an additional document. I can kind of set out kind of terms around the shareholders agreement now, if, mm -hmm. or like to explain what that is. Yeah, and I suppose the reason I'm asking it just here at, at the moment is um, incorporating the company properly is one thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if it's an individual, that's relatively straightforward. Okay. Um, with the view to taking on investment at a later stage, but if there's two or more people involved. In the company, yeah, uh, as founders, mm. um, is a shareholders agreement important then in that context of of the sort of the early stage of the business? Yeah, very important. Yeah, so that's so shareholders agreement is an essential document for any early stage company as it helps to ensure that all shareholders are on the same page regarding the company's management, decision making, and ownership. So. I suppose just to give you a, like a brief overview on the main points why a shareholders agreement is important. So protection. Shareholders agreement helps to protect the interests of the shareholders by establishing clear rules and procedures for decision making and importantly dispute resolution. Mm -hmm. um, also sets out the rights and obligations of each shareholder including how shares can be transferred, how dividends will be paid, and what happens in the event of a sale or dissolution of the company. Clarity would be another one where it um, provides clarity around the ownership structure, the management, again, outlines the roles, responsibilities, investment is a big, a big point as well. If an outside investor sees there's a shareholders agreement in place, it lends a lot of credibility to the company, shows that they're organized and uh, they have a clear plan for growth. Uh, again, as we were kind of uh, speaking about earlier in terms of limited liability, continuity. What's going to happen if a, if a key person leaves the company? How are we going to get the shares back from that person? Are they going to be a good lever or a bad lever? Those are the kind of provisions that a shareholders agreement will put out. Great. Out, yeah. And we'll come to some of those points a little bit later as well. But mm. as you say, that's a very important mm -hmm. point at the outset in terms of setting the firm up on a good footing mm. and allows the growth of the company to develop in a more structured and a more streamlined fashion. Yeah. There's no nasty surprises for anybody later on yeah. or uh, unfortunately if things go wrong, it's sort of yeah. 
after the horse is bolted. So if these are in place first, it allows the company to grow into exactly. Yeah, growth. you should almost expect that something will <laughs> will happen like that. <laughs> that there will be a fallout. So that's great to kind of set out in a in a document there dispute resolution. What's going to happen? You know, yeah. Okay. So prepare for the worst. <laughs> so I suppose um, you, you've started to address uh, a few points there that that I, I wanted to bring up in, in addition to sort of key things startups should know around legalities and so on. Where do you see influential risk? Where do you see the sort of common pitfalls uh, at an early stage? So, uh, ideally, the scenario for you is people come into you at the start and they say, "Well, how do we do this properly and how do we get structured?" But do you see some people maybe coming into you after the fact and they're trying to solve things? So what are, are um, some of the common pitfalls that are there um, or that you know, problems that people get into, le- legal problems that people get into that they sort of didn't think about um, properly at the outset? Yeah, well, a key point here that Laura might speak to more is not protecting intellectual property rights, specifically kind of especially with technology firms. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Keen. And what I see, uh, you know, in some cases with startups is some of the work has already been done before the company's incorporated. There is an idea, there's a concept, there might be one or two people involved. They're already doing some development work and they want to bring it forward. So some work has already been done uh, before the company is even incorporated or exists, as Keen explained. Um, So the pitfall is that maybe there's some IP rights that were developed or owned you know, by those individuals before the company came into existence. So what we need to do is kind of make sure that we grab them, identify them and make sure they're brought into so that they can be owned by the company. And I think it's really important, I suppose, that the promoters or the company is aware of intellectual property. And I'll talk a, bit, a little bit about that later. Um, but, you know, it's it's something that can exist before the company. And we want to make sure that the company can own it. It's, this is something that investors will want to know, that the company have clear title to their IP, that they can continue then to work on it, to develop it, to promote it, sell it and own it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's the important thing. That's one of the aspects that I see from my viewpoint, that maybe there's a a misconception also that, you know, even once the company is incorporated, as they maybe bring on, maybe if they can't, you know, if they don't have employees at the the beginning, other than the promoters, they might work with contractors or outside developers and they might uh, pay them, you know, scope out the work, create and pay them to do that work and then believe that they own the IP. You know, so if you engage an external software developer, they write code for you, you pay them, they deliver it, great. But they, they will still retain legally ownership in the copyright in their IP unless you have a contract with them which formally assigns it from them to your company. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of things that, that I see on the IP side, either you know making sure you bring in anything that's done before the company is incorporated and making sure if you're working with somebody externally that you bring in ownership of, of work that they've done for you. Yeah, and I suppose that's very important, Nora, because as Keen said, you know, the shareholders' agreement is fine, but make the assumption that things won't go smoothly. So exactly. if you get into bed with another person, you know, they're an ideas person and you're very strong on the commercial side of things and you're making things really work well commercially. But this person was the ideas person, you know, and there's a falling out, well, who owns what? Exactly. And it's harder. Exactly. And it's harder to fix things when the problem has arisen. If we can be proactive and be as organized as we can be, identify the IP in advance, bring it in, make sure we have appropriate contracts with our developers and be aware of the IP. Make sure there's clarity, as as Keen said, around who's doing what, who owns what, so that from the beginning we're as organized as we can be. If the company looks as clean as possible to the investors when we come to the due diligence stage and that there's no issue arising down the line with regard to IP. That's something that um, I've noticed in relatively recent times where you've got a promoter who comes with an idea mm-hmm. uh, and they know the sector well and they know the technology well, but they've identified maybe an external party mm-hmm who could, they feel, contribute a lot to the business by way of commercial know-how and market know-how. But this person or this expert, you know, so they could be a key part of the team, but that person isn't ready to get on board just yet um, and isn't ready to um, become a full-time employee 
but they might see potential in the thing and they want they want some a shareholding in it or some degree of equity in it. So again, this is where you're talking about, you know, okay, it's an element of IP, but well, it ties in with that shareholding as well. If you're trying to bring in a key person at the start, yeah. do you give them equity? Or yeah. is equity something that should be on the table at that early stage? Yeah, I was just speaking to a colleague about this before we came on, and I, I, I would always say that equity is the lifeblood of a company. And my colleague was like, no, no, equity is blood. It's your blood. Don't give it away. <laughs> so so um, the one thing, the first thing I'd probably advise them in that situation is think of alternatives. Like consider alternative forms of compensation. Equity is just one form. So consider uh, something bonuses, stock options, profit sharing might be more appropriate for some employees or investors. So, but if like obviously it's a you know equity is a powerful tool for incentivizing uh, you know performance and getting people involved. But if you're going to do it, you got to be very careful about it. Obviously, take legal advice. Our, our firm would advise on this a lot, but. Go to a reputable law firm and things that they'll probably tell you to look at is have a clear plan in place. Like it's important, you know, that plan should outline the terms of the equity, the number of shares, the vesting schedule, any other conditions or restrictions. You know, strategy, that's very important. It should be given strategically to align interests and incentivize performance. Consider the role and contribution of the employee or investor and determine an appropriate equity grant based on their value to the company. Again, don't have don't Front loaded, you know, mm -hmm. have certain targets. That, you know, if we've got to this point after year one, you you can uh, obtain this much. Sure, you know, mm -hmm. you don't want them to get it all up front and then not be not have any incentive to work harder. So be realistic, be clear and realistic about what equity means, what the potential payout could be. It's important to manage expectations, be transparent about the risks and uncertainties involved in equity as well, mm -hmm. because that's. I mean that's a key thing. The, the typically when you've got a promoter who's good on the tech and knows the, the the tech and so on, and and they see they can get maybe overly enthusiastic, um, or may you know get a they haven't sufficiently developed a relationship with somebody. They might see their qualifications and their work experience, and they may know of them. They may have references, but. And um, as we all know around the table, you know, relationships are vitally important in business. And if you go into that situation of giving away equity at an early stage, if they're ambitious, they might see another opportunity. They might go and follow that. Yeah. Now you've given them equity and they're not really contributing to your business or you may not get on personally with them. Yeah. Um, so those other options that you've spoken about at an earlier stage, probably more practical, oh, yeah. more yeah. sensible yeah. Yeah. in terms of the development. Yeah, so kind of going back to kind of points we discussed earlier, you don't want to go beyond like two or three shareholders. You want to keep it clean. Like the, the less shareholders, the better. And have that, have the management of those relationships very clearly set out in shareholders agreement. Um, I think that, too, it's also, yeah. I was just going to add, Kane, sorry, it's also important to consider that, you know, you don't, we certainly would agree, you don't want to give away too much equity too early, uh, because it's, it will dilute your own ownership of your own company, and as the business continues to grow and you bring in investors, they're going to take an equity uh, percent as well, and that which will further dilute you, you know, so I suppose the minimum should really be on the table at the, you know, at the earliest stage, or none, and maybe avail of those other options that Keane outlined. Outlined. Um, I was just going to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier, though, Alton, if I can, you know, where you have maybe this other external person, a possible promoter who wants to come in but doesn't know. Um, what I see sometimes on the IP side where it can get tricky is if we have someone who's interested, but, you know, fair enough, they might be a bit uh, concerned from a security viewpoint in terms of whether they'll step in or out of, you know, where they are now. But if they're employed by another company and if they're involved in doing some development work for this our new company, um, that can really complicate some IP sometimes. If, for example, they're doing development work, they're creating IP for the new company, for you, but they're employed by another um, employer, mm. and that employer might possibly have reached through to ownership of what they're doing for you. So it can get really messy. So just to be really careful mm -hmm. about the parameters of their involvement or their role and make sure there's no conflict or issue there.
Yeah, so again, if they're employed by another party, part of their job contract with that yeah. party is any ideas they come up with belongs to that company. Most likely. So yeah. if they're subcontracting for you, uh, it may not be that person you're dealing with, it could be their, yeah. their parent company. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, and we're not saying here that people need to get tied up in knots uh, legally at a very early stage, but the, the important thing here, I guess, is to reach out and speak to the likes of Flynn yeah. or and people like that and just to say, what are the possibilities here? Yeah. Uh, and just to explore those. So, great. Yeah. You've given a few sort of possibilities there um, and and just be careful about giving uh, away equity. Again, again, as you say, we, we've seen it for young people looking for co-founders or stuff like that or um, maybe somebody's developed a website for somebody and they've, uh, your promoters have given a little bit of equity away on it. It's, it's not anything to be done lightly. Okay. Um, if we can get a little bit more deeper into equity, um, you know, uh, there's so much that goes on when you start to get to the investment stage. So let's make the assumption you've set up your company and you've got your Form A1 and your constitution and your certificate of incorporation is in, in, is in place and you've got your shareholders agreement uh, is there. So you've brought the promoter or the promoters have brought the company to a certain stage and now we need to scale this up and we need to grow it. Yeah. They're going to be looking for investment, okay? Um, when a company decides to take on uh, investment, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we could do a sort of a... You know, uh, one hundred and one on on equity and taking on investment. Yeah, can, can you yeah. set out maybe some of the key issues that people should be aware of and should consider, and maybe go into a little bit of depth on some of those key parts. Yeah, so probably probably the place to start here would be the type of rights that an investor is going to look for when they're investing in your company. So again, this would this is. You should really speak to a tax advisor and a legal advisor before you take any investment. But because all these points are really up for negotiation, and something we do every day and we see every day, and we see the same kind of issues coming up over and over. So, common investor rights that a company should be aware of are as follows voting rights. Investors may have the right to vote on certain matters, such as the election of board members, major decisions over a certain quantum of money that. Uh, the, the board can't proceed without getting the uh, permission of the shareholders and other changes to the company's constitution. Um, information rights. Investors will have the right to access certain information about the company, such as financial statements, business plans, other confidential information. Board representation. Oftentimes, when investors will look to get an investor on the board or the right to appoint one to the board so that they have a say in the management of the company. Uh, preemptive rights. Investors will have the right to participate in future rounds of financing so that they can maintain their ownership percentage in the company. Uh, a related point to that is anti-dilution protections. This is where investors have uh, protections in place to prevent their ownership percentage being diluted in the event of uh, future financing rounds. And uh, very important as well is exit rights. So depending on the terms of the investors investment investors may have the right to sell their shares back to the company or to a third party in certain circumstances often probably a term that you hear a lot is tag along rights as well mm -hmm. yeah. where in that, so that means that in the event of a majority of shareholders selling their shares to a third parties to a third party investors may have the right to sell their shares alongside with the majority shareholders so minority sh shareholder will have to be tagged along in that sale mm -hmm. and kind of uh, akin to that is the drag along rights. So mm -hmm. that's where the majority of shareholders are selling their shares to a third party. They can drag along smaller investors so that they don't hold up a, a large exit mm -hmm. or sale. So, yeah, so those are some kind of common investor rights. Mm, you know, when we talk to companies about investment, uh, you know, we're talking to them about again, sort of who owns what. You know, your product market fit. Okay. Um, you know, your your revenues, your intellectual property, um, the promoters, their knowledge, the team, their knowledge. Um, what are you what are you going to use the money for? Um, how are you going to use it? And then the exits. What are the potential exits? 
And we're always asking those questions, I suppose, at an overall level or at a rather rather general level. Mm. But when you come back and you look at the things there that you've listed out, there, like you know, board uh, appointments, um, what promoters can spend mm. uh, in their company's growth, um, the information that they have to share. With them. Mm. This is all part then of what we're preparing them for because if you can convince people, if you can convince investors that you've got something that's worthwhile for them to invest in, you've got to be prepared that they're going to want a level of oversight mm. of what happens in the business. Exactly. So yeah. they want to protect their investment. Yeah. You know, exactly. Nobody's going to give you 500,000 and just say, come back to me when, <laughs> when you're selling. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're going to want to see how the money is spent, where it's being spent, they will want a certain amount of variety in terms of uh, what decisions you make in terms of where you spend the money and how you spend the money. So that's why they want representation on the board. That's why they might it might say, well, you know, you can't spend more than a hundred thousand without permission of the investors, or you can't take out a loan. Um, we want to see your business plan. Uh, you know, how are you planning to spend this? Um, and if things don't go right, then or if things do go right, you know, if I want the opportunity to come back and invest further in this, yeah, there's your preemption rights. If things, um, you know, if, if things go well and people and there's another round of investment and I can't invest, well, how is it going to impact me if other people come in? Yeah. Your anti-dilution. Um, and you raised a very important point there as well that you really have to be transparent with your investors because they're the people who've believed in you. They're the people who are most likely to reinvest, invest again. You're not going to be, hopefully you're not going to always be looking out for new investors. So if you're as open and transparent as you can be with your current investors and keep them up to date, you know, through information rights or allowing them to attend certain board meetings, you know, that's, that's going to bode well for the future of your company and the growth of your company because those people will come back again and they'll continue to back you. Mm -hmm. and, and also, um, you mentioned there on business plan, you know, access to information, access to business plan, that has implications then as well for, for tax issues. Mm -hmm. um, later on, we say for EIS and things like this as well, that, that documentation is important also yeah. um, when, when uh, you're going to to revenue or so on to look for uh, exemptions or, or to look for uh, tax breaks there as well. Yeah. You'll often see term sheets, so that's a very important document that lays out the terms and conditions of any investment. Mm -hmm. So obviously again this is a place where any early stage companies they should really take tax and legal advice. You know it's important to understand the key terms of any term sheet, um, negotiate the terms. Sometimes, like early stage companies, will think, "Oh, these are the terms; you can't change it." But like a term sheet is very much up for negotiation. You're, you might hear a term sheet or heads of terms, the same same kind of thing. But um, once they're agreed, they're very hard to change. Mm -hmm. So negotiate them, push them, push back on them where you can. That's kind of where where we would come in and try and kind of protect protect the uh, the early stage companies there. And again, consider the long term implications of any investment. You know how you want to grow the company are the investors a good cultural fit for your company and yeah as we were saying that be transparent mm -hmm. you know be very open have everything in order you know? yeah um, and I suppose that's important as well it, would it be good to practice uh, before you okay let's assume you're talking to some investors and there's general positive feeling about how this might go and, and, and you know that they might get involved is a good practice to ask uh, investors for their sort of standard terms first before you get into deep due diligence just to see if there's any sort of red lines there or you know can people go through the due diligence process and then get the the, the sort of the detailed terms so sort of you know uh, horse and cart which you know which yeah. would you, you advocate for there? No, you, you get the term sheet first, mm -hmm. and that will that will set out the parameters of what you expect the investment will be, what they'll be looking for. Mm -hmm. So that's where you're going to push back as well. And due diligence won't start until you've signed that and you've agreed the heads of terms. And as we were just saying there, they're very difficult to change. Mm -hmm. once Because if you signed up to it, certain heads of terms, and you've agreed that you're going to be giving away these rights and for this amount of equity, for how many shares you're going to be uh, providing, 
and uh, the, the different rights that you're going to give to this investor. They're not going to say then after due diligence and when we're kind of uh, when we're negotiating a subscription agreement, they're not going to say, "Oh, we'll give up, we'll give that up." You mm -hmm. know, the the subscription agreement or share purchase agreement will very much be dictated by what was in the heads of terms. So again, that's where you know we would have had not so much in recent times, but you'd have some experience in the past where people would go down a certain length of the path. Uh, would have been talking to people a bit like what Laura mentioned earlier on about you know talking about ideas and sharing information um, and then they find they're sort of in a, a relationship that's sort of you know hard to extract themselves out of so um, that's where you know to get in the term sheet initially and saying sort of here's our standard approach to doing this are you happy with it have we got a basis to go forward and then when you've got that then you can get into the nitty-gritty of yeah. the markets, mm -hmm. the technology, and and, uh, and the funding needed to roll yeah. and develop it. I suppose that's where your solicitor can come in and really be the bad guy as well, and advocate on your behalf. And kind of, I know you might have a good personal relationship with the investors, and might be difficult to negotiate like that. But you'll say, "Well, my solicitor is insisting that we put this term in, and we push back here. You know, what do you think of that?" So we're happy to be the mm -hmm. bad guy in those negotiations as well. Because I think that's sort of uh, that's important because we all know relationships are absolutely essential in business. I think people are more aware of it now, obviously, but um, that's where sometimes we find uh, instances of people find a potentially good fit for the business, a potential investor or a key player, uh, and they they get very involved in the personal relationship, but they don't then take heed of, as you said, maybe you well. I need somebody who's going to be the bad guy here yeah. who's going to say, well, what if this goes wrong? Okay, yeah. have you factored these in? So uh, relationships are key, but sometimes you've got to sort of ask a few hard questions yeah. And, yeah. And, and just remove yourself. Yeah, protect your that. position as well. Yeah, yeah protect yeah. your rights as well, because they're obviously trying to get the best deal they can for themselves, but you have to try to get the best deal for your company as well. I think long term. And sometimes you could get blinded by the lights in terms yeah. of, wow, this person yeah. can really... Bring me places, um, yeah. whereas maybe you've got to step back and say, right, practically looking at this, and mm -hmm. as you've advised there, you want to sort of putting the business on the best footing you possibly can at the outset. Mm. You've got to sometimes take a step back and, and stand outside that sort of relationship and look at the practicals. Yeah. Uh, okay, very good. Um, Anything else around that whole area of, of taking investment on, sort of key things that, that you'd suggest need to be watched out for or that people mightn't be aware of, Keen or, or Laura? I suppose tax implications are very important. Again, like, um, so you're going to need to get tax advice, just like, you know, we'll kind of advocate for you. Tax advisors will help you there. Exit strategy is very important as well. Like it's important to have an exit exit strategy in place that outlines what's going to happen in the event that the the investors leave the startup. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. So um, just when we're coming on to that point, Enerdiskel, um, your rank number one as the mergers and acquisitions legal advisor in the Republic for last year. That ranking was given by um, the Global Information Group Experian. Uh, so. When you talk about exits and acquisitions, that's always, I guess, the sort of the objective for, well, it may or may not be the objective for promoters, you know, they might have a view, and again, this is sort of part of, again, where all of the legal uh, advice and the, the proper structures and the shareholders' agreements, some people might say, well, this is my baby, I want to stay on board with this business forever and a day, yeah. okay, that's fine, and that's very laudable. Investors, however, may have a different view. Uh, you know, you grow the business up to a certain level, and then we're hoping somebody else sees what you're doing, and they come in and they want to take you out of it, yeah. and you're exiting hopefully for for multiple. So, when you start getting it, you have to have that plan at the outset. You know, who might take us out? Okay, so when you are looking ahead uh, and looking at the possibility of an acquisition by by another party, what are things that people should be looking at? there in terms of future planning or future proofing what they're asking? Yeah, that's a great kind of question. So, you know, selling a business is obviously very complicated and as you alluded to there, emotional process mm. for a lot of uh, business owners. So the key 
kind of ideas to keep in mind are preparation. Before selling the business, you have to really prepare for sale. Make sure there's no issues, or if there are issues, address them as soon as possible. So get your finances in order, identify any legal or regulatory issues, and uh, make any necessary improvements to the, uh, to the business. Um, Laura, I suppose uh, a point that we always see mm -hmm. coming up is um, GDPR issues, and I don't know if you'd like to kind of... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as, as prepared as you can be, I think it will put the company in, uh, I suppose, the best position or putting the best foot forward in respect of any potential purchaser. Um, but we tend to see um, on some of these deals when we're involved in the due diligence side, whether it's in relation to IP or GDPR compliance, oftentimes there is non-compliance, you know, and depending on the type of business, depending on the bank of data or the type of data, um, you know, this can be a material risk for the potential purchaser. If there is non-compliance, we know that there is the potential for fairly significant penalties or fines for non-compliance. Um, and this then either might be used as a price chipping exercise by the purchaser to knock off, you know, an amount off the price or maybe seek an indemnity. So certainly we want to avoid those things. So this is just one of the, you know, preparatory tasks, I suppose, that could be undertaken to ensure that all of your policies are in order, you're comfortable that you can document your data processing records, uh, that there's no issues, there's no breaches, there's no problems with the Data Protection Commissioner or any individual or anything like that, and that you're comfortable that your systems are safe and secure. So certainly a, a hot topic mm -hmm. for us in terms of the uh, due diligence side yeah. of things here. But I suppose that's something, Laura, that companies should be at from an early stage. You know, they, you know, even even if there's yeah. there's no there's nothing on the horizon yet in terms of acquisitions, yeah. that's just that's just good company practice. Absolutely, yeah. and it should be company practice from day one. Mm -hmm. You know, but unfortunately we do see you know, some gaps in some respects, or maybe just a lack of understanding that maybe the focus should be just on our customer data, the employee data is fine. Mm -hmm. It's all personal data and your obligations will apply regardless. So, you know, the startup should take a wider approach and make sure that they're comfortable, everything is in order from day one and they're doing things the right way so that, you know, this doesn't come back to bite them or it doesn't present a risk in the eyes of the purchaser, which might impact then on the deal going forward or the price that you can obtain. Yeah, yeah, connected to that, obviously valuation. You know, the business owner should have a very clear idea of what the value of the company. So mm -hmm. that could involve hiring an outside professional to come in and, you know, consider factors such as revenue, profit, assets, and market conditions. But yeah, as, as Laura kind of was saying there, where there's any delinquency in things like GDPR, mm. that's where investors will be looking to try and say, oh, you know, let's price chip here. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm smiling here because the, the word valuation, yeah, yeah. It's, it's always a big bugbear, yeah. you know, and, and, and when, you get, uh, when you get into uh, potential acquisition. So, um, you know, again, investors want the lowest valuation possible, you yeah. as promoter want the highest. So what mm -hmm. you're saying there is, you know, your proper systems and structures and policies in, in place, even at just an operational level, whatever about the market progress you're making, but those basic systems and structures and GDPR and information, they're essential because if they're not in place, you give the potential acquirer a chance to start knocking down yeah, the, yeah, the valuation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maximize your value by having all that stuff in order. Yeah. yeah. And to add to that, you know, in terms of value, other assets which could add value um, are your IP. You know, so if there are steps that you can take to protect them, uh, apply to register uh, trademarks in countries where you sell your products, uh, perhaps pursue patent um, protection if that's applicable. Um, you know, so there's other steps that you can take to add value in all of these assets and the goodwill that. That the business generates in them as well adds value to the business and presents it or a better picture to their yeah. purchaser. Yeah. So, Nora, maybe if I just might go back just slightly and, and just maybe recap on, on the importance of intellectual property. I mean, going back to the start of our conversation, you know, you you mentioned there, okay, you might have co-founders. Mm -hmm. Or you might have a subcontractor who's doing a bit of work for you on, on the business. So um just the sort of the those key points so i mean a lot of people probably would miss that point you know mm -hmm. we'd say if you get a subcontractor and you're paying them they think everything's fine there yeah. so just 
you know, I suppose when we talk about intellectual property, typically what people will think is, you know, I'm, I've done a bit of you know, important research here or I've developed a, a structure or a system or a product, a technical product, and, and you go and you register that and you get paid. So can you just maybe just recap again just on, on that and just maybe emphasize the point again? Just the importance of IP, just at that outset, and, uh, and maybe just the key things that people should just give yeah. quick bullet points that people should remember. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, intellectual property, you know, I've seen it described as maybe kind of recognition or reward for your creative efforts. You know, it's there, it's a property right, it's something that should be protected. But I think what we need to do is know what that is, you know, know what that developer has done before the company was incorporated or who is doing work for us as we're getting going. So it's really important just to be aware to either have some sort of an IP audit, even something very basic, that you know who's doing what in terms of contributing to your IP. Um, the most important thing is if somebody who is not an employee of your company um, has developed or contributed to your IP, that you have a contract with them that brings it in. So. IP takes different forms and there's different ways that you can protect it. Um, so some will arise automatically, some you have to apply to register for and pay to register, and others you protect under the terms of a contract. So, you know, there. I think that if you can compartmentalize or just have a look and see what you have, you know, so if you're a software company, you're definitely going to have copyright in your software. You don't have to pay or file an application to protect copyright in your software. But what you need to do, though, is make sure that you own it and, you, and that it's original work that was created for you. And then you can license it. And so the way you protect it is under the terms of your license to your customers, but also having a, an agreement with the developer in the first place to make sure we bring it in and we actually own it and can then license it on. Um, for branding, very important as well. You know, they have value, they generate goodwill. Um, you can apply to register a trademarks in the countries where you market your products. There's a, an outlay there, there's fees, but you know, you could have a filing strategy, a budget, and make this part of your plan from day one as you're developing your products. Patents can be expensive and they're not always um, applicable. It'll depend on your business and there are criteria that need to be met to achieve, um, you know, a granted patent, but certainly something should, that should be explored. And these two are questions that investors or purchasers you know, will ask as well in terms of what have you done here? What, have you, what efforts have you taken to identify or to protect your IP? Have you filed for a patent? Has it been granted? Or have you even considered whether this is worth doing? Mm -hmm. You know, it's very expensive, but, you know, and maybe in some cases you might decide, well, let's just focus on protecting our trade secret. Maybe invest more on the marketing side, but be careful about who has access to our, um, you know, important know-how about how our products work or how our processes work. So these are kind of business decisions that should be taken early on, but certainly something that should be on the table because if there's a gap or if there's an issue or if we can't explain, you know, to an investor or a purchaser why we didn't take the time to see, one, whether we could use a name or whether, you know, uh, we should have registered a name or whether we should have applied for or could have applied for a patent. You know, we'll have to explain, you know, this to the investor or purchaser. So the more we do to be ready and to protect what we can, mm -hmm. I think at the earliest stage, according to your budget, um, and according to your business plan, this should be on the agenda at the earliest stage. So there's a lot of sort of contextual issues there around the nature of the business, yeah. the nature of the market, you know, what you want to achieve from this, but what you're saying is be informed exactly. around intellectual property and yeah. the possibilities that are there, because at a later stage, it could be very beneficial to yeah. you um, to make sure that you've planned this out all along. Exactly, and especially if you invest money in developing your product. You, sh you know, it's important to make sure that you protect those rights, you know, and that we don't do something, you know, inadvertently uh, or whatever that might, you know, impact the value of them or make it easy for a competitor to, you know, copy or infringe our rights. So if there are steps that we can take to protect that investment that we ourselves have made in developing these products, I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth doing. The other thing to bear in mind is not just the IP that we might own or can protect, companies will have third-party IP. So everybody uses IP almost every day, you know, so we use third-party software, so we have a license to that. Or we might have an agreement with a university who's funding a project that we're developing, you know, through public money uh, or public funds or project with them. So there might be a whole host of 
contractual considerations as well. So always important just to follow the contract, to know what your obligations are, but also what your rights are. You know, so there's, there's a wider potential application here, not just knowing what we have and what we can do to protect what we own, but just to be aware of the IP that we're bringing in and that we're using, what we can do with it, and what are our rights and obligations and under any contract that might apply there. Uh, who'd be a promoter? <laughs> um, so I suppose what you know what we're getting at here is is you know a lot of promoters focus very much on the idea getting to market, product market fit, um, and that's absolutely essential in creating a, a good and a successful business. But the importance of the mundane, practical issues yeah. here is really what we're we're saying to people is these are the things that can trip you up Um, and it's really a matter of good business practice is what we're talking about here at at a very basic level Um, and it's being aware of uh, the potential pitfalls that are there and just looking at it and and that's where Flynn O'Driscoll can help just to advise and to guide people and and making sure they, they don't hurt themselves at an early stage I guess. Yeah, yeah I know Westpac provides an invaluable service and advice to a lot of early stage companies as well. So. Absolutely. Well, let's maybe head towards wrapping this up because I know we could spend, we could spend, if we went into all of these things in detail, we could spend hours going through them. Um, and maybe this isn't a fair question, but let's, let's ask it anyway. If you were saying number one key piece of legal advice that an entrepreneur should know, is that a fair question? Okay, but what would you say that is? Or what's, the, what's the first thing to look out for or watch out for? I mean, there's <laughs> that's yeah. such a, a loaded or broad yeah. question. Yeah. I mean, there's so many possible answers there. I mean, answering it in a very similar broad way, I would say know your business. But by that, I mean know who you have or want to bring into your business and what that plan is whether it's developers that are working on the IP before or after, or whether it's your customers and your staff and you're processing their personal data. So know the business or to be as prepared and planned as you can be so that we can avoid those pitfalls that we talked about. A very broad answer, but you know, knowing the business, I think also ensures that you have your contracts. I suppose I would always look to the contracts and policies. From a compliance viewpoint, that's me. I'm a compliance person. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, uh, but it is important to be as prepared and organized and compliant as you can be from day one to avoid these you know potential pitfalls or problems coming up i don't know if that answers uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I, I know it's a loaded question so i know it's 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 a good answer Kian, um you know maybe laura's has stolen some thunder there and, uh, <laughs> have you have you any i, I won't say a, a, a contrary view but uh, maybe uh, something else that's yeah, I, might suppose, yeah or... I would agree with Laura, just in knowing your business, great way to know your business is if you have clear written agreements in place. Mm-hmm. Just as we were talking about the shareholders agreement, it's important to have that, that kind of manages the agreements between shareholders, but you have to have agreements in between you and customers, you and suppliers, and you have that there, that's going to assist everything for potential exits, for due diligence reviews, all, all that. <clears throat> Probably um, coupled with that is, I know you're asking for a a piece of legal advice, but I'd say come and talk to us as well. Just try and talk to Flynn O'Driscoll or other qualified solicitors when you're kind of addressing any of these issues, such as term sheets, incorporation. Like we're happy to give you a steer at the beginning. I know a lot of early stage companies probably worried about fees, but we're happy to, you know, have initial consultations and put you on the right track. So come talk to us. Yeah, come talk to Laura. Is it great? And I, I mean, even just you know, just you know, to hear you there talking about just agreements with customers, with suppliers, things yeah. like that. That yes, people will they will get to, they will think about, they will become aware of. But in the great scheme of things, when they're trying to get their great idea off the ground and find as many people as possible who are going to buy it, they sort of forget. Yeah or you know it sort of comes up alongside them after a while that they realize then you've got to do all of this other boring stuff in inverted commas but essential stuff because if you don't get this right well your great idea probably isn't going to fly as well as it as it should do so by speaking to Flynn O'Driscoll um you know you'll make them aware of those potential pitfalls yeah 
Okay, well, as I say, I think we could go for, for a lot longer on this and could go into stuff in a lot more detail. Um, Laura and Keen, you might maybe just uh, give your contact details, maybe your email address. Um, yeah. So maybe, Laura, if you might let yeah. us know first and, and we can uh, put those up. Yes, absolutely. And thanks, Alton, for having us both here today. It's been a very interesting conversation. As you say, we could probably keep going for another little while. Uh, but I'm the head of data privacy and IP with Flynn O'Driscoll. I'm based in the Galway office, and my email address is lauramiles at fod.ie. Great. Yeah, and I'm a corporate associate on our corporate transactions team. My name's Keen Mannion, and uh, my email address is just keenmannion at fod.ie. Very good. Thank you very much. Um, now that business is out of the way, we, we have a, a bit of a tradition uh, before we close the podcast. So I'm going to uh, go through a, a quick fire uh, round of questions here. Laura, I might go with you and we'll get straight yeah, into tick, it. Tick. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you don't get any points for any of this or anything, <laughs> you can't pass. So uh, we'll, we'll go through them. So uh, working from home or office? Office, but technically hybrid. <laughs> okay. uh, Apple or Windows? Uh, Windows. Windows. Okay. Email or phone calls? Both, but probably email. Email. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee. Okay. Uh, Teams or Zoom? Teams. Teams. Okay. LinkedIn or Twitter? LinkedIn. Early bird or night owl? Mm -hmm. Night owl. Okay. Reading or podcasts? Reading. Time blocking or winging it? Has to be time blocking. Good. Uh, and more or less than eight hours sleep? Mm, less. Less. Okay, good on you. Kim, <laughs> I think we're very similar to Oh, really? Let's ask. Let's go okay. So, Kian, uh, home or office? Office. Office. Uh, Apple or Windows? Windows. Email or phone calls? Email. <clears throat> Tea or coffee? Coffee. Okay. Yeah. Teams or Zoom? Yeah, teams. Teams for a while. Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn or Twitter? Yeah, LinkedIn. Early bird or night owl? That's one difference. I think I'm an early bird. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Reading or podcasts? I'm a podcast addict as well. So. <laughs> Good. Okay. Another difference. Uh, time blocking or winging it? Time blocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still lower away. <laughs> and last then, more or less than eight hours of sleep? Yeah. Less. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Great. Laura, thank you very much. Thank Ian, you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, I think we've enjoyed that. Yeah. And hopefully our listeners will find it helpful. That's great. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be notified about future podcasts. Please feel free to get in touch with us on social media and let us know if you found this episode beneficial. You can find us at Westwick on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. If you would like to hear more about our available supports, please get in touch via our website www.westwick.ie and of course, stay tuned for our next podcast episode.